Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest and take a little wander into their life. This week, I'm stomping with pop star presenter and author Michelle Heaton. Michelle burst into the limelight in 2001 after auditioning for Popstar. Despite not winning, she went on to sign a multi-million pound record contract with Richard Branson and formed Liberty X. After seven top ten singles and three million records sold worldwide, Liberty X split up, only to be reunited in 2017 as a girl band. Michelle is not only an incredible person because of her talent as a singer and performer, but also because of her openness. Michelle has shared very publicly her battles with alcohol addiction and the process and experience she had going through recovery and being in recovery. She's kindly today joining us on the Stompcast to share her story. If you want to hear my reaction to this incredible episode, as well as the thoughts of the team here recording it, you can have a listen to Behind the Stomp, BTS, which you can subscribe to for $3.99 a month or $44.99 for the year. BTS really does give an insight into what we think after that episode. Our gut reaction, our feelings, our thoughts, and our takeaway tips. Check it out. Well, welcome to Stomcast. Hey. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, we've got the pup with us. Who's the pup? Yeah, this is Bella. And um, Bella comes every day on these walks with me where I've taken you today. Um, she's a silver Labrador. And um, if anybody follows me on Instagram, they'll see that she's part of the family mm. she works out with us and everything you've got a few followers that's for sure so where are we now roughly whereabouts what part we, of the world are, we are um we are in aldenham near watford and we are in a mass of like miles and miles of countryside and woods and golf courses yeah. and so we're right in the the deep of it here we're in the, can we say we're in the bush at the moment yeah we, we are, are. Properly i in would the say of bush and trees and leaves and, and hedges and naturals. very bushy very old trees and i brought you to um this bench yeah and so so basically we're looking at uh Just well basically they've used a this is they use a fallen bit of tree, right? And then built the mm-hmm. back of it and stuff as well, which yeah. looks really cool. And there's little things like this around the forest that's been made by, we don't know. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, the, the councils came and made this. It's, it's somebody, they get the words and they make it. And so as far that's as so cool. I've been aware, since I moved here 15 years ago, this, this edition's always been here. But then now and again, when I do walks, there's other things that have been carved. Mm. Um, so that's what I like. That's quite cool, about isn't it? it? Like this yeah. is like, if you imagine like a park bench in a normal park, but it's not like that. It's kind of yeah, no, it's literally it's a fallen not. log, large, like I'd say a big branch or maybe even the trunk actually. I should yeah. say, we should be able to tell by looking yeah. at the end of it. Um, yeah, I think it's actual trunk of a, tr- a tree. And yeah. They, they flatten that out and put, build a back on it. And so what, this, what's the significance of this? Well, this is where in the height of my addictions, um, being an addict, I would manipulate any, any way of getting out of the house to continue my drinking elsewhere because questions were being raised in the house and, and what alcoholics tend to do is manipulate situations without realising we're doing them at the time and um, 
create a place and time where we have to escape and I would escape to here and I would drink here and um, be alone and cry through my drinking and it would just be horrendous and sometimes I'd sit here for 10 minutes, sometimes I'd be here for hours. But, on, but now, you know, two years, almost two months sober, I come to this bench and I'm so grateful that I'm not where I was and I don't see it as trauma now. You know, originally when I walked past this bench, I, I just had to walk past it and couldn't even look at it because it reminded me of the bad times. But, but I've learned to accept that those times happened and, and I use it for good now. And I sit here, reflect and do my little prayers and bring Bella, you know, mm. so yeah. It's clear that um, from listening to you speak, you've done so much work from the language and the word, and like the emotion, the way that you're able just to be so open about that because naturally, when, when we face a trauma, we've got a few different options, haven't we? We can become very anxious to that, we can become avoidant, we can like immerse maybe too much in it, but also then, yeah. also we can try and work through it and get to a point where, oh, you're turning us off. It's because she wants to, it's because she wants to walk and not stand. Oh, okay, we can start yeah, walking. Yeah, 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 okay, all right, Bella, that's Let's why. Let's start walking. Bella's told us to get on with the stomp, <laughs> I love that. That is, that, that's her telling She's us. She's keeping us, uh, that's the military staff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's clear that you've you know you've worked through so much to be able to to be able to stand here and take us there, and it's it's kind of amazing yeah. you're now able to be there and actually use it as a place. Well, it sounds like a place of comfort. Would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know it didn't happen overnight when when I first got sober and I worked recovery, which I'm sure we'll get onto it in a bit. But recovery for me means that not only am I sober and I live a sober life, but it means in all aspects of my life. I have to work recovery to be a better person, to be grateful, to understand that things aren't always in my control, to let things go. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes we, do, we, we can't do that, not, not just as addicts, but as anybody, because we're so fixated on the problem at hand that we can't see that maybe all we have to do is just pause, reflect, and if it's not something that is our business, mm. And it's not something that, that we can change for good, then we have to let things go. And I think like taking time out with something like that or finding your little happy place, whether it's a stream, you know, or just the back garden, wherever it is, just taking that moment makes a huge difference on how you then react to situations. Do you find that in the past, did you find it hard to let things go? Was that, is it, was it something, or have you always been quite good at kind of acknowledging no. and letting things pass? I mean, the whole point of, of recovery is that you let go of your addictions, that you let go of that need, that power. Mm. Because I couldn't get sober by myself. You know, no matter how many times I tried or how many promises or how many people I was hurting or how injured my body was getting, how sick I became, I couldn't stop drinking. And the whole process is about letting that go in order to let something or someone or people, you know, people who are sober addicts that help me into that in order to let things go. And at the beginning it was, it was very difficult, you know, um, kind of navigating things, what I, I can control and what I can't, you know, accepting that I couldn't control my drinking was huge because you don't know you're an addict when you're an addict. You know, I mean, obviously it came to a point where I knew I needed help and, and I, I asked for help. That, that was why I got sober. But up until that day, up until that day that I completely surrendered and said I need help, 
every other day before that was constant promises that I was going to stop wanting to stop thinking I had control and not knowing that I had no control over it you know and you had to I had to learn to let that go that I can't control my drinking and that for me to stay safe and be healthy I can't take another drink for the rest of my life because well I'm an addict you know it's interesting um I think there's a lot of like people often view um, relationships with alcohol, either as having a good relationship with alcohol, and that's yeah. a whole topic of its own, and addiction. But in yeah. reality, there is so much grey and blurred oh, lines between the two, and it's very hard to see, even externally, where that is, let alone when you're looking at internally at your own relationship yeah. with alcohol. So when you look at your past, when did mm. you think, right, this relationship with substances, alcohol, whatever it is, mm -hmm. when did you think, okay, actually, this is, this is, this is crossing a line here? Or, or do, do you think that there was always a relationship where maybe, I, maybe it wasn't as healthy or whatever? Um, I mean, obviously, so this is going to have to be answered as in now because in addiction, like, my relationship with alcohol was always my choice and I had it. So, you know, ask me back then and I always had... A good relationship. I love to. Uh, I stupidly joked like I'm a functioning alcoholic, you know, because I functioned and I hadn't lost my kids and I hadn't lost all my jobs and and so I couldn't be an alcoholic. So I was just I was like just drinking a lot. But now on the other side, when I look back at my relationship with the alcohol, simple answer is I didn't have an alcohol problem when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an alcohol problem when I was in the band. Mm. Um, I loved drinking, it was a big part of my life, big part of my culture, um, but I wasn't dependent on alcohol. But what I was, and what I suffered from very, very early on, is um, the obsession of, of mind. Yeah. Um, the obsession of anything. So like, when I was younger, I had an obsession of food. I would overeat, eat my feelings, um, and then I would diet, and then I would binge eat, and then I'd be sick, and then I wouldn't eat. Um, then later on in life, when I was like 16, 17, I was obsessed with diet pills, and then it became ephedrine, and then it became speed. Alcohol was kind of all through that, but it didn't play on a, on a I need this kind of basis but I always needed something. So no matter what it was, I felt like I needed something to change the way that I felt. And that's ultimately what alcohol does. Alcohol is consumed because it changes the way that we feel. That's why we drink. It's a social aspect, it gives us a little bit more confidence, it makes us feel like we fit in, it makes us think that we're having a better time. And look, don't get me wrong, I had great times. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I loved my alcohol career when it, it was just drinking and not an addiction you know but the gray areas in that um for me is that where did i then suddenly become addicted to alcohol the answer is i don't know so do you think you're so blurred it's hard to know you kind of know when it is but then you're just like when was it not and vice versa, yeah exactly you know there's not one moment in time where i can look back and say right that's what made me an addict I can look back at my, at my life and say, right, I've got this trauma. I went through early menopause. I had the BRCA gene. I had to have double mastectomy. You know, all these events happened. And whilst they probably encouraged my drinking career, they didn't make me an alcoholic. I just became one. 
So it's it's an interesting question of like what addiction, what does addiction really mean? And like there's all, you can see textbook definitions, mm -hmm. but what does what does addiction mean to you? Because you, when you look into look at alcohol, there's alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. There's obviously the grey areas. We look at like people's relationships with alcohol. Like people, a lot of people use it to de-stress, and yep. and there's questions about how healthy that relationship is. But a lot of people would not view that as unhealthy. It's just part of normalised society. Yeah. So. Yeah, like what would you, what, when you say like I was addicted, like what does that actually mean to you? Addiction is um, a form of insanity and insanity is defined as doing the same thing yeah. over and over again and expecting Einstein's different results, yeah. right? And that's what alcoholics do. We continue to drink or use drugs to get the same high we once had and we crave it and we seek it and we chase it, expecting it to come at some point. And when it doesn't come, we want more. And if it doesn't work that good anymore because we're, we were so used to the amounts we drink, and we drink more, we drink high quantities of, of, of alcohol content and we just go after that first high that we once had, that feeling, you know, that, that nostalgia feeling and the euphoria when, when you were younger and you went out to the clubs and mm. you had the best time. You've got that, it's locked in your brain, and that's what you chase, and, and it never comes. And then before you know it, you're just chasing and chasing, and, and, and you can't stop. There's like this societal view that addiction is like, you know, rock bottom of losing a job and everything, and obviously like, those could be the serious consequences of Absolutely, addiction. Absolutely, yeah. But actually, what people don't see addiction is, is maybe people who are what you'd say, quote unquote, functioning, obviously again, that's like, there's a whole conversation about like surviving versus functioning and truly being present and so on. Mm -hmm. But like so much of being, you know, suffering from addiction and so on can be an even alcohol use disorder as well, is actually still being able to go to the job, do the work, yeah. be there as a parent. Uh -huh. But actually, in reality, you're inside, you're suffering hugely. And I think that's part of where the issue of a lot of people struggle to maybe go, oh, actually, maybe this is a problem because, well, it's not a problem yeah. because I'm still turning up to work every yeah, day. You know, I'm going away on, I'm taking the kids 100%. away on the weekend. But actually, like, how much are you suffering internally? What's mm. What's the internal situation? Well, the thing is, is that those things that we wait for, right? Because I was one of those. I, I, I don't need rehab. I don't need help because I'm not homeless. I'm not living on a park bench. I don't drink out of a paper bag yet. Right, so all these things haven't happened yet. So we convince ourselves that we're not alcoholics. But those things will happen. So all those things that we're waiting for to prove ourselves that we're actually addicts, you go hot long enough, you will die. Mm. You go long enough, you will lose your partner, you lose your kids, you'll lose your job, and you'll end up homeless. You know, th that's like almost guaranteed. You know, you keep going to get the yets that haven't happened yet, and you'll get them. It's about recognizing that you need help before some of those yet to come. It's such a hard place to be. Like I can see now, you know, I do a lot of work um, for different charities and I do my AA and CA meetings and like tomorrow night I'm doing a share in a CA meeting that's Cocaine Anonymous and you see the newcomers and you see them coming and 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 I was that once coming to a meeting expecting to be able to leave and civilly be able to drink and use again like a normal person you know and and that that was me and and that's where again it's this grey area of okay so what do I want to get out of it? I want to be able to drink, drink like everybody else. Of course, if I could drink like everybody else, right, I would. 
because I loved my drink. I love drinking. Exactly. I love the taste exactly. of alcohol. Exactly. I love the social aspect. But I can't. It's kind of like here shall take this addictive substance which is causing a huge amount of addiction with you and learn to control it. It's like going to a child and saying, here's this, 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 little, this little beaker of liquid. Mm -hmm. What I want you to do as you grow up is learn to, it's very addictive and actually quite harmful to you. Yeah. Um, but I want you to learn to control it. Yeah. And like, when you actually think of that in that way, you're like, why? Like, yeah. You know, and then you take a situation where someone has addiction issues and then you're asking them, a person who has an addiction issue, to learn to control something that is addictive. It's like, yeah. when you look at that, then you start going like, oh, wow, like this whole thing is like, it's such an oxymoron, isn't it? It's like insanity, yeah. really, isn't it? It's like, exactly, okay, exactly. It's a definition of insanity. Make any sense. And I think well, the way you just said that is great is that when you ask somebody or when you ask of yourself to slow down or give up or, or not drink as much, if that happens and you can't get help. Yeah. Um, is that that's what you the say, easiest way someone, of saying it, because I sat in that for two years. It triggers, like this, I'm certain, and I, I've said at the start that we're going to be talking about things like addiction and so on mm. in this conversation, and, and it, but I think for people, like it, it is triggering, isn't it? So for, I think for a lot of people where there is very blurred lines with the relationship with alcohol, and, and I think when you talk about it, sometimes it triggers. So if, I think if you're listening to this and you're feeling it even triggered within you, then really notice that and like don't just ignore that, isn't it? And think about mm -hmm. like, well, what if I stopped? Can I stop? Yeah. And maybe that's why I do think for anyone, like be just stopping and doing a period of time where you are, whatever word you use, sober, alcohol free is probably it's, it's a good great for anyone. idea. It's also a great way to look at actually what and how, is yeah. your relationship actually with exactly. alcohol? Exactly. And how are you without it? Like, I've got numerous friends, you know, like yourself, who's taken a sabbatical from alcohol and they are so much healthier. They've got more energy. They really see the benefits. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to drink again. They, they've stopped. Like, they've got control. It's, it's for me is that when I did try and stop and I really wanted to take control and slow down because I was dying, when I tried to do that, I realized I couldn't. Mm. And for me, I then sat in that for another two years and didn't ask for help because I, mm. so, I was so worried and, and, and embarrassed with anybody finding out that I can't stop drinking. And then I just, I just lived like that for the, last, for the next two years and then got myself to a point where I was going to die. Like I got mm. told, I had weeks yeah, to live, wow. I needed medical intervention. You shared a lot of this, didn't you? And of course you shared how much, which yeah. was, I, I think, and it, it, there's a huge reaction to that because people were like, do you know what, fair play to this person to be so honest and open because people are very afraid. It's a very potentially a stigmatised thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think that at the moment that you are unable to control your drinking and you're waking up thinking about drinking and no matter what happens, you have to have a drink. I think those are early signs that maybe you do have alcohol dependence and to seek help. And I suppose if anybody is listening, for me, you know, it, it doesn't just come up and say to you, you're an addict, go get help. I, I was still working, I enjoyed drink, and then it became an everyday thing. And then it became wine the clock as soon as I got home from the school run. And then it became drinks with lunch every day and then get my friends to pick up the kids from school because they would come round to mine. And then, and then COVID hit and 
I was already an alcoholic before COVID, but it just exasperated, I suppose, my experience with alcohol because we weren't going anywhere. And then sooner or later, it felt like it was overnight, but obviously it wasn't just overnight that I would wake up and I would drink. Mm. And, and continue was that my a moment? day. Was that, where, I knew you said it was yeah. difficult to have the grey, there's a lot of grey, but was uh -huh. there a moment where you woke up and you're like, okay, this is an issue now? Yeah, I remember maybe about, um, about four months before I got sober, help, um, I was doing panto at like at Liverpool. It was like the only place open. It was like tier two or something. And we, we still had a panto run. And um, I... I was so intoxicated, although I had only been drinking from the night before, but the amount I had been drinking, I collapsed about 10 minutes before curtain call, and the whole panto had to be called off because I was rushed to hospital. The insanity of it is, is that I spent the night on a drip, I got out the next morning at 7 a.m. and I walked over to the off-license and got vodka. Um, and that's was that, the insanity think, of it. Do you think part of that was because you didn't... Like, I just couldn't the, stop. It was like, I need to just carry... I, 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 at that point, I couldn't stop drinking. It didn't matter that I was like, like almost died. It, it's, it's not... See, it's difficult. It's not that these things don't matter. It's that they're not enough to stop. That's what it is. Like, the countless times that, you know, my husband begged me to stop. My friends worried for me. My friends leaving me and then all of a sudden... Like, like my real friends just not being there, isn't because they were being horrible, it's because they couldn't see me killing myself, because I wouldn't listen to them. Um, I'd surround myself with enablers, with friends who drank like me, with friends who, who put up with my shit, I suppose. But inevitably, most of my drinking was by myself. It was very lonely. Um, I, dr I drank a lot alone without anybody knowing and... It's the cruelty of, of something that people, people associate alcohol mm -hmm. with socializing and mm -hmm. people and community. But the cruelty of the disease of alcoholism is that it is the opposite. It is Absolutely. a cold isolator. Yeah. It doesn't care mm -hmm. who you, it hurts along the way, but it isolates and isolates and isolates to the point where you're feeling so alone and that it's, it's the alcohol then, isn't it? It's, that's yeah, there. yeah I, at the end of the day, it, it, give, it makes you isolated. And it was just me and my addictions. Um, because at that point, nobody wanted to be around me and I pushed everybody away. Anybody who tried to help me, including my husband, I would push away, I would blame them, I would say it's all their fault. And at the time, whilst I was saying those things, I, I didn't believe it. But you, I couldn't stop because all I cared about in that moment in time was having my alcohol and having any reason to drink on it. There was one day that I woke up um, a little bit after the panto, maybe about three, four weeks before I went to rehab. And I remember waking up, sobbing uncontrollably. I had been sick, there was blood coming up um, and I was drinking neat vodka while I was being sick. And I just couldn't understand why, why am I doing this? And I couldn't stop and I was in so much pain my pancreas had already failed. I'm, I'm now on tablets for the rest of my life. My liver was failing. I had an onset of jaundice and um, like my body looked horrific. Like I, I looked like, I looked like a crack heroin addict and I wasn't far off that becoming my next thing because at the end of the day, my, my drug of choice alcohol 
wasn't working for me anymore and that's where it would have took me but I still couldn't stop and I prayed to God prayed to a God that I didn't even believe in to kill me and I remember for that last four weeks of my of my drinking career I um I just wanted to die because I was in so much pain I couldn't stop I had accepted that this was my life and the only way out of it was to die um I I'm couldn't. so sorry that you suffered so much. Oh, it's, so, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just um, awful yeah, to hear of someone suffering to such depths. And again, the cruelty, the isolation of alcohol and alcohol then convincing you that everything else is the problem almost. Yeah, and, and it's just like, it's heartbreaking because um, my poor kids, you know, mum was always ill. So I was always sick. Um, I don't think a day went by when I didn't say to my kids, mummy's a bit sick today, can you go easy on me? Because I was sick. Like I was physically, mentally sick and done. And, and, I, and I couldn't stop. And at that point I couldn't ask for help. And I couldn't bring myself to kill myself, right? So I just waited for it to happen. I was just waiting for that day where I didn't wake up. And the sad thing is, is that my husband was exactly the same, in the same place. Whilst we didn't communicate at that point, he found it really difficult to bring anything up because I would always fight with him. He, he was also waiting for the day that I just didn't wake up because he, he just saw me killing myself. It's so hard for everyone involved in that situation. It's just, um, yeah, and I'm just, yeah, I'm sorry that you suffered to that point. And it's just been so incredible that you do share and you talk so openly. And I'm, I'm certain it's moved a lot of people Obviously, in the last couple of years, particularly in as you're talking about it, but also, you know, for the listeners here that are listening to your story today. I think we'll just take a brief moment and we'll end part one here and we'll pick up in part two. Maybe we could talk a bit about that kind of road in recovery, what mm -hmm. recovery actually means. I think it would be good to touch upon again for anyone that's kind of thinking about alcohol and the relationship, just again, some signs and things or, or things that they can notice. We'll pick up in part two. See you guys very soon. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 